Good afternoon. You're on the panel. RNZ National, Jenny Giblin, Anton Matthews with me now. Reports of a crash on State Highway 29, partially blocking the road where State Highway 29 intersects with Omanawa Road. That's west of Tauranga there. So uh, do follow directions of the emergency services there. Uh, someone says, always cheers me up when I hear the panel horns and musical introduction. Am up to my ankles in hydraulic fluid. So I'll catch the panel on replay. Thank you. And on that note, you can listen to the panel on iHeart, on Apple, on Spotify. You don't have to listen to it live. So that's just a reminder. This first, though, it's cheaper for companies to fund tree planting than to ditch fossil fuels. The Climate Change Commission says currently the emissions trading scheme was not incentivizing emissions reductions, rather incentivizing Lots of planting trees. The government has floated a series of options to reform the ETS, with the highest-ranked option um, one which sets up a whole new uh, additional ETS scheme. The scheme is a government-run market where polluters buy credits to emit. Now, the idea is for prices to rise over time, incentivising firms to innovate and pollute less. With us is Dr. Sebastian Gerakim, Director of the Climate and Energy Finance Group at the Otago, at the University of Otago, and a member of Hekopapa Honunga, Otago's Climate Change Research Network. Dr. Gerakim, welcome. Kia ora, how are you doing? Very well. Thanks for being with us. So, innovate and pollute less, not relying on planting trees. Is that what the message is here, Sebastian? I mean, that's that's a problem that's been around for a while and finally we're seeing some action. Um, but I, but I, I'm not sure if these are necessarily the best solutions to that problem, but certainly the Climate Change Commission is correct in their, mm. um, in their assessment that currently we're seeing a lot of tree planting and not a lot of emissions reductions. So it's estimated, I mean, it's a lot of planting, isn't it? 60,000 hectares of exotic forest were planted just in the last year. To those listeners who might be saying, hang on, I thought tree planting was a good thing. What would you say? Yeah, I mean, tree planting is certainly good, and it removes carbon from the atmosphere as the trees grow. The issue with the, a lot of the planting that is happening is what we call exotic forest planting, or you know, most of it really is Pinus radiata. So you're getting these monocrop pine forests in rows planted out. And the issue with some of these, what we call carbon farms, is actually that they won't be managed, um, you know, pruned and thinned, such as a production forest might even be, uh, because there's no incentive to do so, because they're not planning to, to harvest the timber. Oh, that is interesting, Jenny Giblin. Let's bring you in. Yeah, well, I really welcome this review because where we live in central Hawke's Bay and we're farming um, just out of Waipukuro, you know, I most of the farms recently, not all, but most of the farms recently sold in our district have gone into forestry. And my understanding is that these, as, as you say, these, these forests are not going to necessarily be looked after. They're going to be planted and carbon farmed only. And the impact that that has on a community like ours is huge. So there's social impacts, there's economic impacts, and and, and further up the coast, if you go past Hawke's Bay up into Tairawhiti, the the impact of the forestry planting up there has been massive. And I think you know there's one thing on planting out forestry on marginal land that that that's a you know a, a really good option, but planting out you know, medium to um, to flat farms out our way into forestry is just devastating. Yes, yeah, Sebastian. 
Yeah, that's correct. And it's you know the business, the relative business case of sheep and beef versus a pine carbon farm um, is heavily in favour of the pine carbon farm. So this is part of what they're trying to address in today's announcements of the review of the ETS. Um, I'm not sure which number review we're at, but there's been a few. <laughs> Do you? Oh, let, no, let's go to Anton. Um, kia ora, Doc. Um, yeah, look, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, ignorant, so excuse my naivety, but um, so, so, so I understand, you know, um, what, what you're saying. Is it better or is it the same if we plant all those farms out with, say, native rako, native trees? Would you like me to go? Yeah, go. Sorry, Sebastian. Yeah, yeah, yeah go sure. for your answer to that. Um, yeah, so I guess the, the economic um, feasibility of planting a native forest um, is a lot more difficult, right? So it's a lot more expensive to establish a native forest. So I don't, if you, for example, removed Pinus radiata or non transition forests to be able to go into the ETS, I don't think you would see all the same amount of land planted out in native forests, which I think is a lot better. Um, because it's just much more expensive to do so. So what you might actually see is a decrease in emissions by polluters because the opportunity cost um, is now not planting pine trees or paying someone else to do so, uh, but rather paying relative cost of planting out a native forest. Yeah, it's... Did look, I just, did I yeah, just solve the ETS? Yeah, go for it, Anton. <laughs> no, I said, did I just solve the ETS? No, I'm, I'm just going to look at it. Yeah, um, I, no, okay. Yeah, no, that, that makes a little sense. I, I want to ask you, um, uh, Dr. Geraka, in 2020, emissions were up 21% since 1990. Has the emissions trading scheme worked or has it not? That's a tricky question. Um, I think so far it hasn't had a huge effect, right? What, as we've been talking about, so far what mm. we've seen happen is land conversions to pines, although some businesses are also transitioning and mitigating emissions, right? Um, but the, the issue with that is you need a sufficiently high carbon price to send that price signal. And the problem that we've had since the ETS has been around, and I think it was launched in 2009, is that the, the policy settings around it have not allowed the price to go sufficiently high to enact that change. Yeah. So it's still cheaper to plant pines or, you know, maybe if you've got a really easy option in your business, you could do something. Yeah. So there are four options. One proposal being large emitters would only be allocated to use a limited number of forestry credits to offset their pollution. Another proposal, uh, Dr. Gerrick, is a whole new emissions trading scheme. Of what you've seen so far on this uh, tranche proposals, what do you think? Yeah, it's, it's, it was quite surprising to me to read those proposals today. Um, you know, to me, a, an emissions trading scheme in its simplest form is quite an, it can be an effective tool, and it, and it needs to be simple, right? You see yeah. the amount of units that are allowed, and then people trade if they pollute less or pollute more. And that way you set the price by supply and demand. The problem we have in New Zealand is we've got all these policies, um, these other settings around that that um, have complicated things, right, such as being the only country in the world that allows uh, credits from forestry, you know, not even permanent forestry but timber forestry. Uh, we have what's called industrial allocation where, you know, historic polluters get free credits, Um 
these sorts of uh, settings make it more complicated and then you have to keep getting more complicated solutions to the yeah. problems caused by the complications. And I, I don't see these proposals as necessarily directly addressing all of the issues at hand, but they seem to be trying to tackle the, the Pinus radiata farm conversion problem that we've been discussing. Quite the unwieldy beast, this piece of legislation, Jenny Giblin. Yeah, and as I think, uh, you know, it gets very confusing. I think, you know, the, the general person on the street probably finds it really confusing. Mm. And as you as you say, um, Dr. Garrick, I think, you know, there, there have been lots of um, reviews of this and, and people get lost along the way and that hasn't been, also hasn't been helpful. Sebastian? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I don't think the solutions have to be so um, complicated and confusing. But the issue is along the way you have interested parties that you know are given a new line of income through, say, forestry um, credit generation and then have a vested interest in maintaining that in policy, right? So you now have to deal with letting them down as well as getting polluters to actually pay for their emissions, which was the whole point of the scheme to begin with. It's to raise the relative costs of emission-producing activities, Right, but then you have the government worrying about now making sure that forestry and landowners who have you know, have vested interest in carbon farming are happy. You also have them worrying about the, the cost of living crisis, which is fair. But if you think about it, an emissions trading scheme is meant to drive up prices of these, um, these activities. And so to try and use that as a reason for not letting the price go up, as they did when they ignored the Climate Change Commission last year, um, is a bit disappointing. Well, nice to have you on the program, Dr. Gerica. Thank you very much uh, for uh, taking your time for us. That's uh, Sebastian Gerica. He's the director of the Climate and Energy Finance Group at the University of Otago. Fair to say he's fairly underwhelmed by what he is mm. seeing there. 17 past for the panel, Jenny Giblin and Anton Matthews. National leader Christopher Luxon announced yesterday they'll be uh, they'll add gang membership as an aggravating factor in the Sentencing Act 2002, saying it would lead to harsher sentences. Labor's police spokesperson Ginny Anderson responded, saying the law, as it stands, must consider being in a gang at sentencing. National are simply proposing a technical tweak to explain. Wellington-based lawyer Graham Edgler, Kia ora, Graham. So, yes, gangs back on the menu, election year. Um, explain for us, what is the existing law? So, if you are convicted of a crime, plead guilty or after a trial, uh, you get sentenced. And when the judge is sentencing you, they look at aggravating factors, things that make it worse, and mitigating factors, things that make it better. Mitigating might be you're young or it's your first offence. Aggravating factors include uh, in, you know, multiple victims or, or particularly violent or those sorts of things. And one of the ones that's currently in the law uh, is if the offending was related to gang activity. So if your offending was, you know, a gang-related drug crime or gang-related violence or something like that, that's an aggravating factor. And when you come up to be sentenced, it will make your sentence not a whole lot, but slightly more harsh or longer or higher fine than it otherwise would have been. What are we looking at, do you think, in terms of an extra sentence? Well, it depends what the charge is. You know, if it's a murder, you know, it might be an extra year on your 
your non-parole period, or it might be, or this is enough to make it so that the, the automatic sort of minimum 17-year non-parole applies or something like that. If it's a difference between, you know, well, a, a street brawl and someone got, you know, someone got punched or something like that, you know, it might be the difference between, you know, six months and seven months. You know, so it's, it's, you know, it's sort of you know, little bits in here, and sometimes it be, depending on the seriousness of the charge, more. Um, but the fending has to be gang-related. And so uh, the proposal that National has come up with here mm. is different, and it is a change. So it's not dealing with gang-related offending. It's dealing with offending by gang members, which isn't gang-related. So you know, if, a, if a gang member was charged with domestic violence, you know, they weren't committing the offence because they're in a gang or anything like that, but if they are a gang member when they committed their, their offence, that would be something that could be taken into account if this law change was made, and it currently can't be. And okay. So, so the odd thing, this isn't about gang crime. It's about non-gang crime by gang members. And so that's the change that National seems to be proposing. I don't think it will you know, have, a, have a massive impact, um, but it's certainly not the current law completely. Okay. Oh, very good, Graham. Thank you for that. Now, stay there. Let's bring our panellists. Uh, Jenny first. Yeah, well, I guess my question was going to be is how much is this going to, if it does come into fruition, how much is this really going to change the dial and how much of this is actually going to be a deterrent to that sort of behaviour? Well, my guess is that if we put on the national side, you know, and acts here with their three strikes and those other sorts of things, my suspicion is that this part of it will be one of the, the less important parts of national's proposal around gangs. They've got sort of other proposals you know, all of them together, you know, you never have any idea how much difference he's going to make. But the things that might actually make a difference in, say, the way police approach gangs are things like the Nationals' proposed changes for firearms legislation around uh, uh, warrantless searches of, of gang properties. Um, and they've got some, I uh, forget, you know, uh, enforcement orders that they're proposing to introduce in addition to the ones that uh, Labour introduced um, last year, I think it was. And so the, those sorts of things are things that might actually change the way police approach gangs. This will change the way, in a small sort of set of cases which of offending which aren't gang-related, it will change the way that judges approach sentencing. And so I suspect this is sort of possibly one of the lower ones, but mm. it might make a, a small difference in a few cases. And equally, I think possibly National isn't worried about the deterrent effect. My suspicion is things like this and three strikes that National Act said they'll bring back. They don't really care if there's a deterrent effect. <laughs> Their basic idea of why they want this is, you know, if instead of getting 15 months in prison, you get 18 months in prison, um, that's an extra three months. You're not knocking down the service station. What's your view on this, Anton? What, 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 how do you see this uh, issue? Yeah. Um, oh, well, look, I'm always, I'm always a little bit dubious um, in, in election years when, when these kinds of things come out. I, I think what, one of the things I'm really interested in is, and, and you might be able to answer this, um, Graham. you know, what, where do the police sit in all of this? Because I, I, I recall seeing some stuff over the weekend mm. about, you know, police actually coming out and saying, that there have been some changes made recently, I think in March, and, and that they were relatively happy with how things were going. They didn't really see a need for any change in the legislation, but I, I could have been, I could have misheard that. But do you know anything about that, Graham? Yeah, yeah there, uh, um, sort of, there are some new sort of warrants. Uh, I think that came into effect, I thought it was late last year, but might have been might have taken effect early this year uh, mm-hmm. with sort of gang enforcements that allow police to get 
a certain sorts of warrants um, based on geographical area. I think it was used for the first time last week, so they could get a, a warrant. We think there's going to be a lot of gang activity up in a particular area. We want to do some searches, and I think they found a couple of people with um, unlawful weapons as a result of that. And so that's one thing. National, I think, at the time said this should go a little further and allow these other two or three things as well. And so that's sort of where maybe the, the, the real difference to police is going to happen if there's a law changes around those sorts of laws rather than this one, which I think is, you know, it's an important change in a, in a sense of, you know, how you approach sentencing. You know, should your sentence be more serious just because of who you are for something that's wholly unrelated to your actual offending? Right. So that's a, a philosophical argument you can have. But in fact, I suspect this particular change is going to be a relatively minor one, but some of the others might be might have a, a greater effect. Um, of course, if any of them have much of an effect at all. Um, and uh, as someone said, after decades, we are still talking about this uh, issue, Graham. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a never-ending story, isn't it? I think yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, like, so focusing on, on well, I was just going to say, I feel like focusing on um, on the sentencing stuff, I mean, it is important, but it almost does feel like it's a little bit too late. Um, I'd far rather see time and effort, you know, poured into the police. If, if it's a, if it's an issue, then let's go to the, let's go to the issue. Um, you know, because okay. if you're in, if, if we talk about dealing with them in, in court and around sentencing, it's probably that the harm's already been done. It's too late. You know, we need to, I think we just need to speak to the police and, and ask them what do they need in order to kind of make people feel safe and reduce the crime and all, and all, all the other antisocial behaviour that we're all talking about. You know what, what do you mean? reckon, Jenny? Yeah, I think that's a, um, that, that's a really good option, Anton. It's just, uh, you know, there's nothing kind of new, there's nothing that's really changed in the gang space, has there? I mean, as, as you say, this, the Mungra mob and, and other gangs have been around for such a long time, and I just, you sort of sit here in despair and think, well, what is actually going to change the dial here? What is actually going to make a difference? I don't know that this policy is necessarily going to do anything. So what do we have to do as a society to... Um, to clamp down on this sort of behaviour, and I don't know the answer, but um, it's kind of like Groundhog Day, isn't it? Hey, for now, Graham, kia ora. Thank you very much for your time. Kia ora. I always appreciate it. That's Graham Edgel, a lawyer there, explaining, giving us a bit of an explainer uh, on the tweaks to uh, uh, to what National want there. 25 past four, you're on the panel. Now, what is the best film soundtrack of all time? What about this one? Is it dirty dancing? Is it? This is a short list from the BBC, ABC rather, where Bruce Isaacs, a lecturer in film, used on what's the perfect marriage of music to film? When you start thinking about it, there are some great examples. Pulp Fiction, of course. Then there's Boogie Nights. And High Fidelity with us is Sasha. Kia ora, Sasha. Kia ora. What do you think it is? Oh, dirty dancing all the way. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Why? Oh, I think it's one of those movies that hasn't dated, um, and it's got a really strong theme around what happens when abortion's banned. And so, poor old US, it's all back in the back in the forefront again, and it does it really, really well. Like it really does. Yeah. We were so talking about this, and my producer Sally, she was saying that it's the one movie of this era that has not aged because of this mm. theme. Yeah. 
Yeah, some of the other ones, the misogyny is awful. Like you watch them again and you think flesh dance comes to mind and you think, oh. Right. <laughs> but dirty dancing, no, it, it's, it's done well. And what bangers, huh? Oh, yeah. Even one with Patrick Swayze singing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good on you. Thanks, Sasha. And with us now is Jason. Welcome, Jason. How are you? What's yours? Uh, it's a bit more edgy than uh, your... your um Top Guns. Uh, Dogs in Space was a was a movie back in the mid eighties, and it was about the immediate post punk music scene in Melbourne, and it has got some real crackers on it. Now, was that the movie that starred a young Michael Michael Hutchins? Yes, it did. Ah, uh, Hutchins, and it had a few of the bands that had been around five, six, seven years earlier. Very, very good, Jason. Let's stay there. What uh, Anton? Is there a soundtrack for you that comes to mind? Well, I was thinking about it when you when you open the um, the segment. Um, there's a few that come to mind, um, but they might they might be a bit left field. Uh, I might just because of my era and what I grew up listening to. Eight Mile, love Eight Mile. Eight Mile, um, Eight Mile. Eminem fan, Anton. Well, I'm a hip hop fan more than yeah. Eminem fan, but I, yeah, but but oh, I think he's pretty pretty talented. That's for sure. Absolutely. Um, Get with your guy trying. Notorious, both excellent movies with excellent soundtracks. And um, but my favourite at top has to be The Lion King in either Te Reo Pākehā English, the original, or even better Te Reo Māori. I absolutely love um, what Disney's done in the last couple of years with that uh, soundtrack. It's awesome. Fantastic, good picks, Jenny Giblin. Well, I um, my favourite, I suppose, is probably like a lot of other people, is Forrest Gump because there's such a um, there's such an eclectic um, range of um, of musicians that that have contributed to that uh, to that movie. So that's that was my favourite. But I was thinking about New Zealand movies, and um, and my all time favourite New Zealand movie is Boy. And you know, there's some fantastic music in that as well in terms of Party and Māori Club, uh, Prince Tui Teka, yeah. Herbs, etc. I mean, that's a great little movie with um, awesome sounds from Aotearoa. Oh, these are great choices and they're rolling through now. Ah. Oh. This is a great one as well. Ding, 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 da, 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 Anton? I know, look, I know the music. You're going to hate me. I just don't know where it's from. I know the music. I know exactly. You've done a great job humming because I recognise the tune straight away. I just don't know where it's from. Thank you. Jenny? Da, 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 da. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. What? Ry Kuda for Paris, Texas, the Godfather, best hip hop Friday. But just after the headlines, I am honoured to present to you the greatest soundtrack of all time. What do you think it is? It is the greatest. There's nothing better. Uh, 2101, you're on the panel with Jenny Giblin and Anton Matthews. It is time for headlines.